Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Amen. No fear, November. With that being said, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read the passage of Scripture that will be the foundation for what I am confident I am to communicate today. It's so good to see each of you here. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in 25, the writer says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Continuing into chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want to preach a message today titled, Shaken and Stirred. Shaken and stirred. And I want to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, I bind demons that seek to confuse, to oppress, to distract, to keep heaviness. Lord, in the lives of people, I pray that Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you would shine forth the light of God, that you would bring liberty, that you would, Lord, shake and stir us to move forward, to draw near to a throne of grace. We thank you, Jesus, for your kingdom coming and your will being done. I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Make much of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Notice in our text it said, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. That the things that can be shaken are being shaken. Now up front you need to understand some purposes of shaking. First, to reveal the contents of something. You think about when you pan a pan of gold. You shake so that the contents would be revealed. Also, the purpose of a shaking is to separate the contents. Another purpose of shaking is to stir up the contents. And also a purpose of shaking is to cause things to fall onto the foundation. Or another way to say that is to bring things back to the source or reveal the source. The writer of Hebrews, he's writing to believers who are in an outward transition period. And yet, they are vulnerable to forget the inner transition that has already taken place in their life. For instance, the new covenant has already been established. Jesus, the Messiah, has already came. Jesus has already fulfilled the Old Testament law. 
He's already fulfilled the sacrificial system. And yet, the Jewish temple still stands. The people, people day after day, are still offering sacrifices according to the Old Testament law. And yet, the Messiah that fulfilled all of that has already came. A new covenant has already been established. The old has already been fulfilled. And this period has created tension among Jews who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah and Jews who have not. Those who have are being tempted not to press on. They are being tempted not to persevere. They are being tempted to compromise their New Testament found faith in Jesus, the resurrected King and Lord. They're even being tempted to turn back from New Testament faith and to begin to offer Old Testament sacrifices and to begin to trust in the blood of bulls and goats again. And the, the writer of Hebrews reminds them of the contrast between the nation of Israel's experience having been brought out of slavery from Egypt and then they were brought to Mount Sinai where God spoke on earth. You can go read it in Exodus. The mountain burned with fire. The whole earth began to tremble. They were fearful and they begged God to stop speaking. And they said, Moses, you can go here, God. We do not want to draw near. And he reminds the, the hearers here in Hebrews of the nation of Israel's experience and contrast it with their experience. Their experience of being brought out of spiritual slavery and being brought to the heavenly Mount Zion. And then he says, And yet we should not refuse him who speaks from heaven. The first thing we need to understand is that it's God's voice, it's the voice of the Lord that creates the shaking. Scripture is fulfilled with prophetic promises, the foretelling of God of what will take place in the end of days. We have answered the question numerous times here, and let me just answer it again. Of course, we're in the last days. The Apostle John, the Apostle Paul believed they were in the last days. The question is not, are we in the last days? The question is, is how much of the last of the last days are we in? But God has spoken before the end. And He has, through His Word, promises. And it is His Word that creates the shaking. Now, the natural tendency of us as humans when responding to a shaking is to be afraid. This is why the writer of Hebrews contrasts Israel's experience after they were brought out of slavery in Egypt and they were brought to Mount Sinai. He contrasts and he shows that that is the natural tendency of mankind. That when God begins to shake, when His Word begins to go forth, when prophetic promises begin to be fulfilled, our natural tendency is to be Afraid. I remember when Michelle and I were uh, planning a church in the Philippines and we experienced our first earthquake, a natural shaking for both of our lives of significance, uh, a significant earthquake. We were both in our living room and we were watching TV and I was sitting sort of diagonal to her and when it began to happen, I didn't know if I was dying and about to leave my body or if Jesus was returning. All I knew is I did not know what was taking place. And because of that, that sense of, of not understanding what was happening, there was a sense of being afraid there for a moment. And Michelle and I, we locked eyes like, what is happening? And it was an earthquake there in the Philippines while we were there. But that is the natural tendency for us as humans in responding to a shaking, is to be afraid. Now, if you struggle with a legalistic mentality, if you struggle with legalism, and I don't have time to go into depth of what that is, stay around and you'll learn and find out. But if you struggle 
with legalistic mentality or legalism, you are even more vulnerable when God's shaking begins to take place to respond being afraid. When things begin to shake, when you have a legalistic mentality, you begin to think, I must not have done everything that needed to be done. That this is happening because I am not perfect. That I have failed to do something or failed to remember something or this shaking is my fault. Sin in Satan's voice also makes us afraid of the Lord and His shaking. When you go read in Genesis 3, that's what happened. That it was sin and the voice of Satan that made Adam and Eve, when God came down in the garden to spend time and walk with them, it made them afraid and they're hiding from the presence of God. They're hiding from the voice of God. So you and I need to understand that that's our natural tendency. We can have compassion, we can have understanding, we can have empathy for unbelievers, for natural men and women around us that do not have the understanding of the prophetic promises of God, that cannot discern the things of the Spirit because that's our natural tendency as well, to respond to a shaking being afraid. However, the spiritual response to a shaking is to draw near to God. The spiritual response is not to hide from God, not to be afraid of what God is doing, what God is saying, but to draw near to God. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 spends time writing to the hearers saying, listen, God has made a new way for you to draw near. It's through the person of Jesus. And you got to understand that God gave the gift of His Son and through His shedding of His blood and through His body being broken, God has made a way that when things are shaking, you can draw near to Him and you're drawing near to a throne of grace. A throne of grace. Now this spiritual response of drawing near is a picture of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not to be confused with being afraid because the fear of the Lord is a spiritual response that doesn't hide from God, hide from His voice, but draws near to God even when things are shaken. When things are shaken in our hearts, when things are shaken in our homes, when things are shaken in the culture and the economy that we're a part of, when things are shaken in the world, that the fear of the Lord doesn't draw back in fear. We draw near to God in holy reverence. Because we understand that it's God's voice that creates the shaking. That God has already framed the ages and the epochs of time with His unseen Word. And that's why in verse 28, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly Fear. Notice reverence and godly fear. That is the writer of Hebrews saying in a different way, the fear of the Lord. Let us have the fear of the Lord. And don't let it miss your attention. The writer of Hebrews connects a shaking with the fear of the Lord. They go hand in hand. Now, when you read the book of Proverbs, which is the Old Testament book of wisdom, we find out a lot of what the fear of the Lord is, characteristics of the fear of the Lord. For instance, in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In Proverbs 1.29, the fear of the Lord must be chosen. Because what's our natural tendency? To be afraid. The fear of the Lord must be chosen. Proverbs 3, 7, and 8, the fear of the Lord will cause you to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord will be health to your body and strength to your bones. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the perverse mouth. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, according to Proverbs 10, 27. Those who have the fear of the Lord walk in uprightness. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. 
The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And then Proverbs 14, 26, watch this. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. See, the fear of the Lord is contrasted with being afraid of lacking confidence, of being unsettled in a way that causes you to coward, to pull away, to pull back. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. So where legalism, where the effects of sin, where Satan's voice make us afraid of the Lord, the fear of the Lord makes us bold in the Lord. I'll say it again. Where legalism, the effects of sin, and Satan's voice makes us afraid of the Lord, the fear of the Lord makes us bold in the Lord. How many backsliders today are watching or listening or will listen? That sin's voice, Satan's voice, the effects of sin is lying to them, keeping them afraid of God, thinking that God is mad at them, that there's not a mercy seat for their sin, that there's not a mercy seat that can cleanse their guilt, that there's not the hand of God that can deliver them from the bondages that bind them. And because of that, they are staying away from the Father's good pleasure to forgive, to liberate, and set them free. And what they need today is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that doesn't make them stay hiding through the lies and the voice of the enemy that causes them to draw near in a day that they can be accepted. It is the day of salvation. It is the time that all of us can run to the mercy seat of God and know that His compassion fails not. He understands your infirmities. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your failures. He understands your upbringing. And He's got the power through Jesus, the mercy seat, to deal with it all. So this boldness comes as a result of having the fear of the Lord and it's connected to the unshakable kingdom. The unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of God is unshakable because it's eternal. In the text that we read, the writer of Hebrews says that it's the things that are made that are being shaken. The reason God shakes the things that are being made is because He's trying to get our attention and our hearts back on the eternal. The eternal God. The eternal kingdom. The eternity that He set in the hearts of all persons and all men and all women. So the kingdom of God is unshakable because it's not made. And therefore, because it's not made, it cannot be shaken. It is heavenly. And then the writer of Hebrews there in verse 28 says, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. Listen, the Old Testament law was dependent upon your works. It was dependent upon you earning the benefits and the blessings of God. It was dependent on your pedigree, your lineage, what tribe you were from, what nation you were a part of. And it's not through that lens or that method that we can serve God acceptably. He says that the way you and I serve God acceptably is through the grace of God, through the New Testament in Jesus that God has promises for you. And listen, promises can't be earned. They can only be received. That's why he says, let us have grace. Let us not have our works. Let us not have our self-dependence. Let us not have our self-effort. Let us not have our self-trusting. Let us have grace. Let us receive God's grace. If you don't understand the distinction, then you need to get signed up today at the end of this message for growth phases starting in January. And we will disciple you in the New Testament in Jesus Christ and in His covenant. But listen, it's not the Old Testament standard. Because the Old Testament law leads to fearful living. 
It's living that's focused on you. Have I earned enough? Do I come from the right pedigree? Have I done enough? And that's what we see the writer of Hebrews pointing back to at Mount Sinai that all of the people responded to the voice of God and to the manifestations of the power of God. When the mountain shook and burned with fire, they responded with the natural tendency of all of us who live under a law legalistic mentality. They drew back and were afraid. But the New Testament, that there's grace available. And with the fear of the Lord, we draw near to have grace. Because listen, grace establishes our heart. Grace enables us to serve. Grace is necessary for acceptable behavior. And I feel that there are people here today and people listening that are about to go through an experience like what Moses represents. When you look at Moses, you see in his life the difference between living afraid and living with the fear of the Lord. And there's two parallels, there's two items you see that the Scripture frames the life of Moses around. Water and Pharaoh. Water and Pharaoh. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, Moses was born in a time where abortion was mandated for the Hebrew people. That every child that was born and and was to be taken and and to be killed. But there was some God-fearing people. Not people that feared men and the edicts of of Pharaoh. And there was some God-fearing women that couldn't carry out the orders of the government. And they... Take this boy Moses and they give him back to his family. And for three months, the family hides Moses. For three months. Well, as you know, children grow. And it gets a little harder as they grow to hide them. Because if you have had little children, you know before long they get into everything. I mean, they just get into everything. You can't hide them. You can't hide the traces of them. I mean, they get in every cabinet. They try to open every drawer. And so the mother makes an ark, a basket. And they put the baby, Moses, in this ark. And they take Moses down to the Nile. And they place Moses in that basket upon the water. And they commit the moment and they commit Moses' life into the sovereign hand of God. Now, if you know anything about children, when they're cold and they're in a new environment and the warmth of the embrace of family and the mother is taken, they cry. And I can imagine Moses there at three months in that basket on the water crying as a child, not understanding what's taken place. And the sovereign hand of God comes and he washes up and Pharaoh's daughter sees and hears the baby and she takes Moses into Pharaoh's household and they raise Moses. I, I believe because I understand how God's created our psychology to work. And I've experienced this in my own life of how there had been curses and bad habits empowered in my life from the subconscious, from things that happened to me when I was young, that I wasn't conscious of it, and yet it was empowering dysfunction. I imagine Moses grew up and he couldn't remember that day where he was crying on the water, where he he had to go through that experience. But I wonder if he grew up with apprehension about water. I wonder if he just had a hesitancy about water. I wonder if there was this feeling of being afraid of water that hit his life, but he didn't know why. He didn't know why. Well, as time goes on, he, of course, gets called of God. And you read about how Moses has to face water again. And in Exodus 14, 13 through 16, it said, Moses said to the people, this is... He's led the nation of Israel out of bondage. He's led them out of Pharaoh slavery. And they're camped before the Red Sea. And Pharaoh 
his heart gets hardened again and he gets the chariots and they run after the people and here they are and the people are crying and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. You don't have to respond the natural tendency of us as humans when a shaking's going on. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, watch this though, why do you cry to me? You got to think back. You got to use your imagination. There he is three months, and he's crying, and, and his sister's in the and the bulrush is looking and observing, seeing what will happen to him. And he's crying, and, and the sovereign hand of God hears the cry and protects him and allows Pharaoh's daughter to hear the cry, and his life is preserved. And this point, though, God says, why are you crying to me? Yeah, I remember when you cried to me when you're three months old and you needed my sovereign hand to get involved in what situation you were going through. But why do you cry to me today? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rods, watch this, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Listen. He's crying in the basket, floating on the water, three months old, and you see the sovereign hand of God. But here he is with the fear of the Lord, and God says, you need to stretch forth your hand with the authority of God to split the water. He went from experiencing the sovereign hand of God, dealing with where he was afraid in the fear of water, to having the fear of the Lord and appropriating the hand of God through his hand. What I'm trying to tell some of you is some of you is experiencing a shaking because God's bringing you back to things that's happened in your childhood and things that's happened in your past that have crippled you to be afraid of certain things. But now God's about to give you true humility of the fear of the Lord that what used to cripple you and make you afraid, you can stretch forth your hand having confidence that the hand of God will back up your hand and you're about to split and walk right through the midst of what used to keep you afraid. Now think about this. In Moses' life, he ran from Pharaoh because of his own hand. If you don't remember the story, Moses began to go through identity crisis. And, and it, when you go through identity crisis and trying to grow up into understanding who you are and who God's called you to be, at times... You don't get it right. There's a mixture. There's an inconsistency. You don't go about things the right way. And He had a good heart, but he's trying to learn how to live outwardly the good heart he was coming into. And he sees this fight going on where these taskmasters are beating a Hebrew and he takes the matter into his own hand and he kills the taskmaster. Because of his own hand, now he's got to run from Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh's about to kill Moses. Because Moses killed an Egyptian. But then guess what happens? He goes and he becomes one who serves his father-in-law on the backside of the desert, tending sheep. And God began through this time to wean him of the fear he had of Pharaoh. And God begins to teach him true humility, which is the fear of the Lord. To fear the hand of God and to have reverence for God above the hand of any man. Above the hand of anything. For it's better to trust in the Lord. The fear of the man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will remain safe. So he ran from Pharaoh because of his own hand, but then he returns to Pharaoh in the fear of the Lord. And he, and he says, God's about to stretch out His hand with mighty wonders to you, Pharaoh. What do you see? You see that Moses was afraid, 
when he was depending on his own hand. But when he learned the fear of the Lord, he found that there was strong confidence, just like Proverbs. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence in the hand of God. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence in the hand of God working through your outstretched hand. The fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. And the fear of the Lord serves us well when the shaking takes place individually, in our homes, globally, nationally. Look at verse 26 where the writer of Hebrews says, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Here we see the writer of Hebrews highlighting the shaking. And you remember one of the purposes of the shaking? Is to cause things to fall onto the foundation. To cause things to fall back to the source. To reveal the source. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, there's the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of the things that are made. What this means is God allows the shaking to happen so that things that were made and built without the fear of the Lord may be exposed. That we could fall back to the foundation because what's the beginning of knowledge? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. God allows the shaking to get us to fall back in our lives to the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. See, listen to me. Without the fear of the Lord, without... The fear of the Lord, we can't have strong confidence in the Lord. So we by default start trying to build areas of our life with our own hand. But what is built with our own hand can't sustain the shaking. Because that means it's been made by the temporary. But God wants to build in our life and in our homes and in all the nations of the world that which is not made, but that which comes from Him, the Eternal One. That which meets His standard, that's built by His Spirit. That's why I was reading again this morning. He tells Zerubbabel, who's a part of the Old Testament rebuilding process, and he says, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit. It's by the eternal Spirit that God wants things to be built in our life because those things built by the eternal Spirit and by the eternal One cannot be shaken. They are everlasting. It is fruit that remains. And it's in the shaking God begins to cry out and say, stewardship, stewardship, stewardship. Remember I concluded two weeks ago where you begin to find the foundation of the fear of the Lord in areas where God says, that is mine. God looks at the earth and He doesn't say, hey, it's our earth. He says, it's my earth. The fear of the Lord is understanding that the earth you and I live in is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Without the fear of the Lord, people are on the earth, people look at the earth, but you know where it leads them? To atheism. Agnosticism. It leads to evolution and lies of deception. It leads to an out of balance environmentalist and all kinds of crazy ideas. And God allows a shaking of the earth to try to get people back to the fear of the Lord that's eternal. That it's the eternal God and the eternal one who created the earth that we live in. God says the land is mine. God allows the shaking to of the lands and of nations to try to get nations and the land back to the fear of the Lord. That that innocent blood and evil practices defile the land. And why does it matter that the land's defiled? Because the land's not our land. It's God's land. And God doesn't like the defilement of what He has made. So He allows the shakings to take place. Then God says, the silver and the gold are mine. It's interesting how the, the wealthy of the world, they're storing up gold and silver. And Scripture said it long before that. You go read the book of James. It says in the last days, they'll have silver and gold and the corruption of it will cry out against them as they've hoarded it up, as, as uh, the wealth gap get, continues to increase. It says God hears the cries of the laborers though. 
But God tells people, He says, all that silver and gold, it's mine. It's mine. The economy is God's. The money is God's. And when that is forgiven and the fear of the Lord is lost, God's Word begins to shake the economy. And it begins to shake the silver and gold to try to get our hearts and our minds back to the foundation that the silver and the gold and the money and the economy belongs to the Lord. It's for Him and for His glory. Then God says, all the souls and the bodies are mine. And there's one God and we're made in His image. And people, when they lose the fear of the Lord, they begin to put their hands, they begin to put their own desire and their own will on the body of others. And that body belongs to God. And I'm telling you, when, just like in the days of the early church, it happened more and more in the days we live in. That in 1 Kings 13, 4, there was a king, King Jeroboam. And he heard the saying of the man of God. And he got angry against the word of God. And the king cried out against the altar in Bethel. And the king stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Arrest him! Arrest the one that had the word of God in his mouth, the prophetic voice. And watch this. When he stretched out his hand towards him, that hand withered so that he could not pull back to himself. See, listen, when people lose the fear of the Lord, when governments lose the fear of the Lord, when people use the fear of the Lord, they forget that all the bodies and all the souls are the Lord. To treat people wrongly is to treat God Almighty wrongly because we're made in His image. And to treat the people of God wrongly God takes it personal. He took it personal when Saul was persecuting the church. He didn't say, why are you persecuting those people? When he met Saul on the road to Damascus face to face like a man, he said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? To touch the body of Jesus is to touch Jesus. And there's going to be in the last days more and more of this. Where unjust persecution of the people of God goes forth, and yet their hand's going to wither. God's divine protection is going to be upon His people. Because God says, vengeance is mine. Listen, we don't take vengeance in our own hands. We leave it in God's hands. But remember, listen, a shaking is meant to stir us to seek that which cannot be shaken, His kingdom. His kingdom. See, all the nations of the earth belong to God. The earth belongs to God. But there's a lot of things that have been built by man upon the earth. You can put all kinds of stuff. We'll just put some items on it. But on God's earth, people have sought to build what they want, what they desire. And when God allows the shaking, the shaking... Is so things fall back to the foundation. That it's the eternal God. There's only one God. The maker of heaven and earth. It's to get people back to the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Listen to me. With what we're facing in the nations, without the fear of the Lord, there ain't no help in solving it. Because the fear of the Lord of acknowledging that He's the one that created the world, He's the one that created the nations... That is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. You can't solve complex issues without having the beginning of wisdom and knowledge itself, which is the fear of the Lord. So God shakes it to get things back to the foundation that the earth is the Lord. Every person is the Lord. The silver and gold is the Lord's. Because the shaking is to try to get us back to realizing that it's the eternal light of God that created what's seen. That it's the unseen God that's created the seen planet in the nations of the world. That His light would begin to shine again 
and nations and in the world that are reverence from the one true God according to Romans 1 that has revealed himself to every person. To the person right now who says I'm an atheist and agnostic, you know in your conscience God has revealed himself that he exists. And according to Romans 1, don't you be a person to exchange the knowledge that God's given you for a lie. Where people have more praise and worship for the earth than the God who created the earth. And the shaking is to try to stir us to seek that which cannot be shaking the eternal God and His kingdom. And then the writer of Hebrews says, For our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. Listen, shaking reveals the contents. There's times where you can look at something and say, Man, that, that looks so clear. But when you begin to shake it, you notice, oh my goodness, I thought it was clear. I thought there was good contents in there, but there is some pollution. And sometimes the shaking in our life reveals that we thought in areas we had the fear of the Lord. But we've been building those areas of our life Depending on our own hand, we're trusting in our own understanding, we're trusting in our own ability, we're trusting in our own intellect, we're trusting in our own pedigree. And it's in that, when the contents are revealed, we shouldn't get afraid, we should realize that God has grace available. Press into God, draw near to God, and He'll exchange the pollutions of our past for the purity of His present and His power and the person of the Holy Spirit. But then there's other times, some of you, you've been hiding afraid. You're like Gideon. You're trying to serve God in the little bit of the might of you have, but you're hiding in the wine press. You're scared to be vocal and bold. That they're the reality of one God. And only one way back to God, Jesus Christ. That there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. And you're afraid because you don't think that you've got the necessary contents in you. And you can look at yourself and you say, you know, I I don't think there's anything in there. And you even feel, say, man, I don't feel like there's anything valuable in me. You even can try to take a drink. Say, you know, I don't taste anything beautiful in my life and you don't smell anything. But the shaking reveals at times there's some treasure. There's some treasure that you might not feel like much, but Christ is on the inside of you. There's some divine qualities because God's put the divine Son and the Spirit of His Son on the inside of you. And you know what? You still can't invite people to come and hear about the hope that you have, Jesus Christ. You still have the beauty of Christ in you. That the stirring, the shaking is to reveal the contents. Hebrews 13 and 1, right after the writer says that our God is a consuming fire. He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I believe, I said two weeks ago that I felt a a prophetic, a, a, a now stirring that I wanted to share, and it comes down to this right here. I believe that in this, prophetically, God used this passage to highlight some things that are facing you and I right now in the days that we live in. That there's six ways that the enemy is attacking during the shaking. Remember, the shaking is because of God's voice. Because God's trying to get us back to the foundation of the fear of the Lord and the confidence in Him. But when the shaking happens, because our tendency is to be afraid, the enemy tries to come in and attack. And I believe there's six ways the enemies are attacking during the shaking. The first is fear that shuts down love. Look around you. Attacking with fear that shuts down love. Watch this. Fear that shuts down hospitality. Fear that shuts down remembering those that's being mistreated by us only having self-concern. 
Fear that biblical marriage has shut down exciting options. Fear that shuts down contentment due to comparison. And for all of those attacks, the writer of Hebrews, when he says, for he himself has said, he gives us the answer. The solution for us is he himself, Jesus. For every one of those attacks, the answer is he himself. Listen, the answer is not us. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own strength. The answer is He Himself, Jesus. Jesus, He Himself is the answer. So that, and here's the other part, we may boldly say. That we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not fear. So listen, there are fears, fires, but our God is a consuming fire. And what I sense is as these six ways the enemy's trying to attack during this shaking... That our God as a consuming fire is greater than fear's fire. Listen to me. The fire of God's love is greater than the fire of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and strife. Jesus warned, He said, in the last days the love of many will grow cold because lawlessness will increase. But our God is a consuming fire. God, as a consuming fire, can so burn in our heart with His love that it's greater than the attack of the enemy right now to get us in unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and wrath. Then, there's the fiery darts of, the, of demons. The fiery darts of the enemy, Scripture speaks of. But the fire of God's ministering angels are greater. When you read the beginning of Hebrews, that's how the writer of Hebrews starts off. He, taught, he says the angels who are flames of fire, they're ministers, flames of fire. And right after that, watch, he says, the writer of Hebrews, that out of fear, many will shut down hospitality. And by shutting down hospitality, they'll miss the opportunity to entertain angels. Listen to me. When... when we know from Scripture angels come down and take on human form to, to serve and to help those who will inherit salvation. When there are masses of people and great crowds, it's easy for angels to blend in. But when you have entire cities shut down and you have entire streets like New York empty, it's hard for angels to come down and blend in when there's no humans around. And I believe prophetically what God used this text to say is that fear is shutting down hospitality, but the saints of God are missing the chance to entertain angels. God's got angelic assistance for His people in the days we live in. And that's where you see, go read the book of Acts. What do you see? You see angelic assistance taking place in the time of shaking that was going on in the time of tension of the early church. What about the shaking when God about to pour out His wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah? What do you have? Angels came down. When shakings take place, God gives angelic assistance. Angelic assistance happened with Jesus in 40 days. Prayer and fasting. There's going to be angelic manifestations like the book of Acts for those that won't let fear shut down hospitality. Then there's the fire of persecution. But our God's a consuming fire. Listen, the fire of His presence is greater than the fire of persecution. Go ask Polycarp, who's in heaven right now, where he went before the flames of persecution and the flames couldn't kill him. They arched over him like a rainbow. And the people got so enraged that were trying to kill him for him being a follower of Jesus Christ unashamedly, that they had to go and thrust him through with the spear because the fire could not kill him. We know this. God gives examples in the Old Testament Scriptures when He threw uh, the three Hebrew boys 
that the world tried to label with new names in the fire, they found out that there's a greater fire, that there's a God who's got consuming fire, that God's holy fire is greater than the fire of persecution. What about Paul and Silas? They stand as an example that God's fire is greater than the fire of persecution. In Acts 16, 22, they were being persecuted. It said the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. There was a shaking so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. See, listen, the fire of God's presence is greater than the fire of persecution against the saints. And here is Paul and Silas. They've been beaten. They're being persecuted. But the shaking's just revealing the contents within them. That there's a greater one in them. And though they're being shaken and persecuted, praise and prayer still came out of them. What I'm trying to tell you is you got the divine helper, the Holy Ghost, the power of God in the inside of you. And in the days to come, persecution might happen, but there's a greater fire on the inside of us. And the shaking's just going to reveal the contents that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. They were being persecuted, they were being beaten, but praise and prayer still came out of them. And guess what happened? As they did that, a shaking took place and went down to the very foundations of the prison. Because listen to me, laws and prisons weren't created for the righteous. And there were two righteous men of God in prison serving Jesus and it was unjust and as the contents of prayer and praise came out of them the shaking happened and it went down to the foundations of the prison and it loosed the injustices and the prison doors were open because a shaking is meant to stir us to seek that which cannot be shaken the eternal unshakable kingdom of God and the shaking reveals the contents. Because God created the earth that prison was built on. And because the earth is the Lord's, He shook it so that that which was built wrongly upon it could crumble. Next, there's the fire of lust. The perversion that is so pervasive, the, though it's always been there, it's this accessibility that makes you and I so vulnerable in the days we live in. It's so easily accessible, but the fire of the marriage bed is greater than the fire of lust. Jesus said, in the days of Lot, it'll be when I return. You go read the days of Lot, it was people just increasing in the fires of lust. They were trying to even sleep with the angels that took on human form. Go read it. And as the fires of lust continue to burn, listen, God's holy fire in marriage is stronger and greater. I want every married couple in here to purpose and ask God for His fire of His presence to come to inflame with pure, holy passion the marriage bed. You say, well, I'm single. Well, listen, pray then for a mate if, if, if there's that much passion because that's what Paul said. He said, if you fire, if you have fire, sexual fire, and you cannot live and don't want to live free of that, single, then pray for a mate. And God will sustain you until it happens. But I want to tell us who are married, listen, we're not missing out on the world's propaganda of lust, of all the pervasive perversion of swinging and bringing pornography and all kinds of lustful appetites. And listen, the fire of the marriage bed, he said it's undefiled. What takes place in the secret place of the marriage bed is undefiled that the fire of the marriage bed in God can be greater than the fires of lust around us. Then there's the fire of covetousness. Come on, Jesse. 
But the fire of God's contentment is greater than the fire of covetousness. Because Proverbs says the borrower is a slave to the lender. But there's a fire of contentment that's greater than the fire of comparison and covetousness. And then it ends the passage saying, What is man? For what can man do to me? I will not fear. I want to tell us that the fear of the Lord is greater than the fear of man. They were thrown in the fire. Daniel 3.15 And here's the thing, the king mocked them. And he said, what God's going to deliver you? Watch this, from my hands. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Listen, I don't need the ungodly and the wicked and the skeptic and the unbeliever to believe what I believe. I don't need them. I don't have to convince them if they are mockers. I don't have to try to convince them. We can know who our God is. We can, like Moses, from what we ran from before, running from the hand of Pharaoh, return in the humility of the fear of the Lord and not have to talk a lot, but know when we stretch out our hand, the hand of Almighty God is behind our hand. That things we used to fear of, water and the things from childhood, we now can walk back in the fear of the Lord knowing that when we stretch forth our hand, the hand of God is behind our hand and that thing must part because we are called to the liberty of sons and daughters of the Most High God. He who the Son makes free is free indeed. They said, we have no need to answer you. If that's the case, our God whom we serve, He's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you've set up. They threw me in. And then the king said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Watch this. And they gathered together, the skeptics. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. You know why the fire had no power upon their body? Because that body was created by a consuming fire, God Almighty. And when we trust our body, we trust our life, we trust into our God who's a consuming fire, if it's not the time for us to go, then not one hair on our head will be touched. And yet, if God entrusts some of us to experience the fire of persecution, never forget, in the persecution, in the pain, the fire of His presence is greater. Ask Paul and Silas. Ask Polycarp. Ask the martyrs that's went before us. Hallelujah. Lastly, there is the stirring. In the passage of Hebrews, come on, man. He said, once again, God's going to do it. But once again, when did God say this before? Where you go back, He said it in Haggai. If you're not familiar with that book, a prophet gives fiery sermons, little sermonettes. And you know what they were designed to do? To stir up the nation to finish the temple. And God right now, remember, it's His voice that creates the shaking, but the shaking for the people of God is different in some ways than the shaking for those who aren't the people of God yet. The shaking for us, the people of God, is God trying to stir us up. We're to be shaken and then stirred. Stirred to what? Well, just like they were stirred in Haggai. They had started rebuilding the temple, but they hadn't finished. And so the prophet begins to give fiery sermons to stir them up, to have renewed courage in the Lord, to have renewed faith in God who controls the future, to fear the Lord instead of fearing man, to have a renewed holiness in the Lord. And it's the same for you and I, that the shaking would cause us to finish the race. To have grace that we may serve God acceptably. To allow the power of God to enable us to do what you and I in our own ability cannot do. Watch this. 
In Haggai, it was to finish the temple. In Hebrews, it's finished the race. In Haggai, it was the shaking of difficulties. In Hebrews, it was the shaking of discipline and training. In Haggai, it was the former temple. In Hebrews, it was the former covenant. In Haggai, it was the shaking of all nations. In Hebrews, it was the removal of all things in heaven and earth that can be shaken. In Haggai, it was the turning from the law. In Hebrews, it was the turning from His voice from heaven. And God wants the shaking to stir you and I, listen, to finish the race He set before us. We're stirred to mature. We're stirred to let Him who began a good work bring it to completion. We're stirred to seek first the kingdom of God. We're stirred to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the power of God again. We're stirred to build God's house as people. We're stirred not to stay in fear. We're stirred to be able to say to things, what can man do to me if God be for me? Who can be against me? The Lord is my helper. His hand is upon my hand. My body is the Lord's. His favor surrounds me. The Lord Lord paved a way before me. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. He Himself shall sustain me. He is my economy. The silver and gold belong to Him. The foundations of the earth is His. We're stirred towards the promises in the promised land. Watch this. And we're stirred to remember the covenant. And Isaiah 54 and 10 says, Though the mountains shall depart, though the hills be removed, But my kindness shall not depart from you, saith the Lord, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Listen, everything around you can shake. Everything in the nations can shake. But we have a covenant of peace with the God who created the earth that's shaking. We have a covenant of peace through Jesus, through His shed blood, through His death and resurrection. And God's covenant is upon us. And God wants the shaking to remind us of the covenant. We're people of covenant. And God never once has lied, nor can He lie. And God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And His covenant of the blood of Jesus is upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.